Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go for two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. For he makes his sun rise on the bad and the good, and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what recompense will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers or sisters only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same? So be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. This gospel speaks of tough love. And keep that phrase in mind because that's my translation and interpretation of what Jesus is trying to tell us. Tough love. Let me again put it in its context, as we always try to do here. We need to understand the gospel in the context in which it's spoken. Recall that this is the great Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is trying to lift up our ideals, to hold up these great principles. And he's giving what you might recall from last week, what is known as antithesis sayings. That is, sayings by Jesus where he contrasts the old law with his new law and teaching. Scripture scholars tell us that what we have in this gospel today is what they call ipsissima verba, that is, the very words of Jesus himself. You might know if you've read any kind of scholarly commentary on the scriptures, they are very reserved about what they will say are the exact words of Jesus himself. But scholars seem to think, in some consensus, that these words today are such ipsissima verba, the very words Jesus would have used, because they speak to the very heart of his teaching 
and certainly the Sermon on the Mount. It opens up with Jesus saying to his disciples, again, you have heard the commandment, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What Jesus is referring to here is the ancient law of retaliation that is referred to several times in the Old Testament. The goal of this law that was lived in Old Testament times was established in order to establish justice and to keep revenge within certain boundaries to avoid the escalation of violence. Picture this, as was often the case back then and still is today. In tribal days, one man would be injured by another man in another tribe. And so all the buddies and all the members of the injured man's tribe would get together and go after who? All the members of the perpetrator's tribe. And so what you have immediately is this great battle happening because of what started as a single trouble between two individuals. So the law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was simply meant to establish a just proportion with the crime and the punishment, to keep it from getting out of hand. Does that make sense? So it would try to limit this violence and keep it from escalating, getting out of hand. And it was never intended to be done by the victim, but by a judge. All right, so eye for eye, tooth for tooth was an old way of keeping it under wraps. Jesus said, however, but what I say to you is, offer no resistance to injury. Offer no resistance to injury. Obviously, Jesus is not intending to suggest that we need to be passive in allowing people to be abusive with us emotionally, at least of all physically or sexually. We have learned that this is an awful thing that needs to be immediately challenged and never allowed. Jesus would never want anyone to be needlessly hurt. Please don't misunderstand this. Jesus, rather, I believe, is implying that Violence breeds violence, so try to be non-violent. And so Jesus tries himself to replace this Old Testament ethic of retaliation with a new law of mercy. Perhaps you remember in the movie on Gandhi, it was Mahatma Gandhi who once said, if we follow the old law, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, before long, the whole world will be blind and toothless. (laughs) How true it is. And Mahatma Gandhi was a person who, by the way, would have become Christian if only he met one, he said. He loved, he loved the teachings of Christ. And he was one who gave himself to a life of non-violent resistance to injustice. And because of that, he allowed actually injury to come upon him and his brothers who would march in these nonviolent uh, protests and eventually change the whole system of slavery that was under the oppression of the British government at the time. If you're interested, Martin Luther King later went to India to study this nonviolent resistance and came back to bring it as the policy for their civil rights movement here in the United States. You might recall those pictures we've seen. Now, granted, there's violence going on all around, but they would march without returning any violence, march 
peacefully down the street, even though bottles and rocks would be thrown, and not to mention insults and harsh words. This is the law of love that Jesus was trying to make the law of the land. And he gives three examples that follow upon this teaching of offering no resistance. But please, again, it takes some understanding to interpret them correctly. Jesus says first, when a person strikes you on the right cheek, turn and offer him the other. I know what you're thinking. You've got to be kidding. But again, clearly Jesus is not saying we should ever allow someone to beat us up physically, emotionally, or sexually, or any way. Never take abuse from anyone. Jesus is not against self-defense, but it does seem like he is against taking the offense, afflicting hurt onto others. I researched this and it was interesting. Picture this in your mind. Remember he says, if you're struck on the right cheek, turn the other cheek as well. Well, picture as I stand before you. If I, I hate to say this, but if I were to slap you in the face on the right cheek, I would have to use the back of my hand, right? The back of my hand. Now, what I learned is according to ancient Jewish rabbinic law, to hit a man with the back of the hand was twice as insulting as to slap him with the front face of the hand, which would be on the left side of the cheek, huh? So what Jesus seems to be implying, and it would have been culturally understood at the time, is that even if someone insults you in the worst way, now interpret slap in the face figuratively speaking, huh? Someone insults you in the worst way, do not return the insult, but turn away from them. So now if I were to slap you in the right cheek and you were to turn the left cheek, you would be turning away from me, slapping you again. Does that make sense? There's almost seemed to be like a common peasant wisdom there. Just turn away from such a person. Move away from the place of violence that you could be caught in that vicious cycle yourself. Again, Jesus says, in another example, if anyone wants to go to law over your shirt, hand him your coat as well. There's a lot of people who want to go after everything, even the shirt on their back, you know? Well, how does this make sense? None of it on surface is logical, but maybe hopefully it can be theological and give us an insight into where's the logic of the Lord in this? Well, again, I read first a shirt or a tunic would be that long cotton garment, not unlike the alb that a priest wears or a minister could wear that covered the whole body. Even the poorest of the poor would have a change of tunics, a change of these shirts. A coat, on the other hand, was an outer garment that was used as a robe during the day and at night as a blanket. Remember pictures of Jesus? You see him usually in long white tunic, but this red cloak around him. So imagine most Jews would have, uh, of course, a cloak or blanket, but usually only one, especially peasants, would have only one such cloak. So, Jewish law established that if a man's tunic may be taken as a pledge or you hold him credit, and yet his cloak could never be taken because he would need that to sleep at night. Now, with that point of view, we can understand Jesus' point that a Christian, therefore, 
who would give away not only his shirt where he has a couple, but his tunic as well. Jesus, I believe, is saying Christians should not be so concerned about what is their legal rights so much as their responsibility to do what is right. Now, I think that needs to be put in some context again, because today in this litigious society, you have to be concerned about everything or you'll be out of business. But our first concern is to do what is right. Do what is right. Thirdly, the example Jesus gives is, should anyone press you into service for one mile, go with him two miles. Jesus wasn't just advising some kind of spiritual exercise of calisthenics. He was talking about a time when the Jewish people lived under Roman oppression. And at any time, a Roman soldier could press a Jew into service to carry their military baggage or gear or whatever for one mile. That was their right. Recall, for instance, Simon of Cyrene who was pressed into service to carry Jesus' cross. It was about a mile to Calvary. Jesus' point is, when he's saying go along with this and go even the second mile, is instead of resenting and resisting this servile imposition, consider doing it and even doubling it so as to personally freely choose to give yourself in service. Stay in that place of personal freedom, of giving yourself. That's the point that Jesus, I believe, is, is making here. Then he concludes in those examples, Give to the one who begs from you. Do not turn your back on the borrower. Well, if you give to the one who begs from you, at least if you stand outside by the cathedral, you're going to be broke before long. In fact, even if you give from everyone who begs from you by the way of charitable solicitations you receive every day in the mail, you're going to be broke. So obviously, all these need to be put into the greater law of reason. Everything needs to be interpreted with the good common sense and conscience that God gives us. But clearly, the point Jesus is making is to be generous. Be generous. The sixth and the final antithesis saying, where he contrasts the old law with the new teaching, is... Jesus says, you have heard the commandment, you shall love your countrymen, but hate your enemy. Let me hold that a second and comment. The commandment, love your enemy, you might know, appears in the Old Testament. I'm thinking especially of the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, where it says, love your neighbor. But neighbor, in that very context of that book, refers to your fellow Israelite. It was never meant to include anybody else outside of the nation of Israel. So this law of love was a law of limited love. And parenthetically, there is no place in the Old Testament that gave a commandment that you would hate your enemy. But evidently, there was a popular saying in belief at the time of Jesus that that was quite the custom. Because the Qumran community which you might know as a monastic desert community at the time of Jesus, had this saying, love the children of light, but hate the children of darkness. Now, keep in mind how we could fall into that same kind of dichotomy ourselves when we make any country the enemy and give ourselves the right to hate them or keep our prejudice against them. 
Jesus challenges that by saying, my command to you is love your enemies, pray for your persecutors. Jesus is clearly teaching the law of unconditional love that is the very heart of his Sermon on the Mount. Not only does Jesus say, should we avoid hating and retaliating against an enemy, we should go the second further mile and love them. But please understand, love does not mean like. We don't have to like somebody. We don't certainly can't like everybody. We have to be loving toward them. And remember, too, feelings are different than actions. It's quite all right. In fact, it's normal to have feelings of hatred that are not at all wrong. It's only when we allow these feelings to fester by reacting or coming to act out of hate that it becomes wrong and sinful. So action and reaction that's hateful is sinful. Does this make sense? This is very important because when I have worked with people in counseling, say the person was abused in some way, as I often, I keep coming across so often today, actually the very process of healing, I have to get them to get in touch with their hateful feelings. But for many of us religious people, sometimes we have this lid on our feelings that doesn't allow us to ever feel hate. And it gets in the way, actually, of the healing of the forgiving. You almost have to feel what you feel, even if it seems the stinking, ugly feeling of hate, to go through that so that we can come to a point where we can forgive someone. What I'm saying is, love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Now that's something to write down on your Valentine card. You don't have to feel so romantic to be loving You just have to decide at the deeper part of our heart, the will, the heart in the scriptures is the place where we make those decisions. The heart was the core of the inner person where the hardest decisions were made. You will to love. Wow, that's love. You will to love. I think one of the greatest examples I can share and I have shared was the story of Corey Ten Boon. Many of you recognize the name Corey Ten Boon. Grew up in Amsterdam as a Christian. Her family took in Jewish neighbors to hide them from the Nazi soldiers who came. And they found out that they were hiding them. And so the Nazi soldiers, the Gestapo, arrested the entire Boone family, and all of them went off to the concentration camps. And her entire family died there, except for herself. Make a long story short, she and her sister were bedmates in this dormitory, and they were talking about how they needed to not be kept prison inside their soul. They needed to learn to forgive. But Corey said she couldn't do it. Her sister said, you've got to. She said, I can't. Well, when her sister died, and just a few months later, the camp of Ravensbrück was liberated, she came to America to get as far away from that horror of those years and put the whole scene behind her, but then realized the only way she could be free of this terrible scar that remained in her was to work through the process of the hate that she had assimilated through those years. 
and then to work through those feelings to come finally to forgiveness. And she learned such a great lesson that she felt this needed to be shared with society. So she went around and began to speak free of charge to anyone who would listen this message of loving forgiveness as the key that unlocks our hearts that are often held prison by the hostility that holds us and keeps us bound. She shared this message all throughout the country and then throughout the world. And then one day she was invited to Munich, Germany, where she gave this beautiful testimony of how she came to forgive the very people who killed her family. And after the talk, a number of people came up to thank her. And one man stood before her and held out his hand and said, you might remember me. I am one of the guards that stood over your barrack in Ravensbrück. And immediately she recognized him after all those years. And all of a sudden she said she had this cold chill just come over her. All these beautiful warm words she had said about love and forgiveness and all this. All of a sudden she wanted to throw up. And she was caught. She was in shock. She could not stretch out her hand to grab hold of this hand of this guy. She couldn't find any words to say, even though she said him just a few minutes ago. Standing there, she didn't know what in the world to do. The guy still held out his hand, looked at her with eyes that pleaded for her mercy. And all she did was close her eyes and pray, Dear Jesus, I cannot forgive this man for what he has done to me and my family. But Jesus, you can. Give me your love and your forgiveness to give to him. Corey Ten Boon said, no sooner had she prayed those words, so, such a sincere prayer from deep within her, that she felt this warmth come over her. And with the warmth, this frozen condition freed her up to extend her hand to say to him, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. What a lesson for us. That many times, for and those of us who have been deeply hurt, know this. The only way we could ever consider coming to a place of forgiveness is to ask the Lord to lead us to that place where he was on the cross himself when he forgave the people who killed him. So must we pray, God, I can't, but you can give me that kind of tough love. To continue with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount of this Sunday Gospel, we can understand why he would say then, this kind of love will prove that you are sons and daughters of your Heavenly Father. For just as the Son rises on the bad and the good, and he reigns on the just and the unjust. In other words, love indiscriminately, just as God loves all people, good and bad. For Jesus goes on to say, if you love those who love you, tell me what merit is there in that? Even tax collectors do as much. Now remember, tax collectors are the most horrible, despicable people in Israel. They're the ones that work for the enemy, the Roman government, and charge heavy, high taxes and made a great living. They were high on the hog of life because they took it off the backs by way of extortion, by forcing these prices against their own families and friends, mind you. Uh, you said tax collectors in the same phrase as you say prostitutes and worse sinners, tax collectors. Jesus says, you know, tax collectors love each other. 
So what great deal is you if you just love your friends? Or if you greet your brothers and sisters only, tell me what's so praiseworthy about that. Don't the pagans do anything? In other words, what difference does your religion really make? We've got to ask ourselves this question. I don't think we have grasped the heart of this, certainly not the depth of this, even among ourselves, and I have to confess my myself, because we sometimes think we can hold on to prejudices for other people, especially those who criticize me, talk against me, or, you know, whenever we, we take things so personally, we let it stand in the way of love. Jesus challenges all that. And he says, in a word, now this in a word means in summary, you must be perfected as your heavenly father is perfect. Don't interpret or translate perfected meaning without fault. There's no hope for that. But this perfection is love, pure and simple. It's love. Love will cover a multitude of sins. You can learn to love perfectly by being perfectly forgiving. So there it is. Wow, what a teaching, huh? Tough love, tough love. But I'd like to raise some tough questions. I'd like to take a counterpoint to this gospel. I'd like to situate this in a whole other sphere that we struggle and grapple with these gospels to mean, yeah, but how does it apply to life? How do you take these ideals and apply them to the real things that we face? How do you take if I could say it this way, tough love tactics to tough issues, especially tough people in my life, right? Obviously, Jesus is saying, as I've said here several times, he's saying even in tough situations, we must show a tough love, loving enemies. But I raise the question, it's tough to know how to show tough love in situations where it's not so clear. Now, I wonder in our own personal battles, I'll never forget the guy, uh, the father of four boys once said, man, how could we even hope for peace in the Middle East if you guys keep fighting this war in our living room? I can't even get the brothers to live together in peace. We can apply this on a personal level. But what I'm saying, how do we take the Sermon on the Mount down into the valley where we struggle? And not everybody shares the same ethic or gospel. I don't know that this can be quickly or certainly not superficially applied as a national security policy. But I don't think we can dismiss Jesus' teaching either because it seems to me this is the very gospel that the people need to hear more than anything. That they need to quit living by the law, eye for eye or tooth for tooth, and to start trying to love their enemy. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.